listening to a podcast from The National. Imran Khan is quite possibly the most successful man in Pakistan's short history. After a lackluster cricket debut when he was 16, he worked his way up to the ranks to become captain of the Pakistani cricket team in 1992 in its only World Cup victory. After retirement, he became a philanthropist who has provided free healthcare to millions of lower-income Pakistanis. He founded a political party that has won seats in the parliament since 1997. Last week, to add to his already illustrious career, he became the Prime Minister of Pakistan in the country's second democratically elected transition of power. While he's been famous in the country for a long time, Khan today is a conservative and controversial figure with policies that his opposition fear will further marginalize women and minorities. There are questions surrounding voter rigging from last week's election, and his foreign policy is still a mystery. But before he takes over as prime minister, the measure of his political clout will be tested in forming a coalition government. No easy feat for a country with a historically shaky political environment. I'm Nasr al-Wesmi, and on this episode of Beyond the Headlines, we look at how Pakistan's government might take shape under the newly elected Imran Khan, and we'll look at what makes Khan such a compelling figure in the country. How did Imran Khan go from cricketing hero to leader of a large country? We asked Osman Samuddin, a Dubai-based cricket journalist who's interviewed Khan extensively over his career. A writer for ESPN Crick Info and a former longtime journalist at The National, Osman joined us in our Abu Dhabi studio. You've met the man. What, what was he like? Uh, okay, so I, I, had a, I had a longish interview with him uh, that was now nine years ago. Yeah. Um, so he was then at that time, he, he hadn't become the Imran Khan that he is now, uh, which is, you know, this kind of, uh, well, I mean, he's been a fairly abrasive leader, I guess. But when I met him, he was still transitioning from being like a, this public philanthropist type who had made this hospital amazingly. Um, and he was still kind of finding his feet as a politician. Um, and I, I found him like, you know, like like I think we grew up knowing him and, 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 th- and thinking about him. He's very firm in his beliefs. Um, he doesn't, you know, brook fools easily. Um, but I think the interesting thing about Imran is actually that I, I don't think, and it's my personal opinion, but I, I think a few people agree that I don't think anybody knows what he's actually really, really like. Uh, just because, you know, over the years, if you see Imran, he's he's morphed from one type of Imran to another and then to another and now to another. And now he's in, you know, maybe his final kind of incarnation as as, as the prime minister and savior of the country or whatever. So uh, he's he's difficult to get a handle on, um, you know, even even after you meet him and you speak to him. It's difficult to know. He'll tell you about his beliefs and stuff, obviously, and he'll tell you, this is my ideology, these are my politics and stuff. But then you might hear him two days later saying something completely different or, or acting in a different way on, on TV or something. So you're not really ever sure what he's exactly like. I mean, he's a, he's a cricket legend. Uh, how does his former success in sport translate into political success, if at all? I think so. There were a couple of things that were key when when he was when he was a sportsman. You know, he he didn't start off as a great cricketer. He wasn't. I don't think he was blessed with with talent. Like you know, you see some guys who are obviously going to be gifted. I think what what he had going for him was obviously he was willing to work hard. He was willing to change himself in in many ways. But I think his his drive as a sportsman was just it was phenomenal. He I don't think he ever came across a situation in life where he thought I can't do this. 
or I I cannot beat this guy. I don't think he ever came across that in his sporting life. And I think he's translated that into his post-sports career. So, you know, when 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 he wanted to, just that hospital that he's built, the cancer hospital, you know, to, to think that you can build a state-of-the-art facility in Pakistan, poor country, you know, you're not going to get any government funding that will essentially be free for poor guys, for, for poor people over there. It's, it's phenomenal. And so when he started doing it, people were like, oh, no, you're kidding. What are you talking about? It's never going to happen. But he managed to do it. And so if he puts his mind to something, invariably he will do what he wants to do. But I, I think the only the only kind of thing that people are uncertain about is what he actually wants to do with Pakistan, which way he wants to take it. I, I don't think there's any doubt that he will do what he wants to do. I think the doubt is that what does he actually want to do with Pakistan? He's clearly a re- remarkable man, a remarkable career. Uh, he's the country's most revered ticket, uh, cricket player, an Oxford grad, a philanthropist, uh, and a successful politician even mm-hmm. before uh, winning the prime minister's spot. But will the next five years define him? I mean, how would it, would failure to deliver on the promises define his legacy? You know, that's a good question, actually. Um, because, you know, he's, he's at that age now where for 65 years and, you know, 40 of them in the public eye, uh, people have not, or people have taken him as they want to see him. You know, so some people see him as this great guy full of integrity. Some people see him as a natural leader. Some people now see him as the guy who will save Pakistan. Uh, I think you're right, though, that in these next five years now, he's 65, he's going to be 70. You know, you've got you've got to think that his public life, maybe another, what, about 10, 15 years he goes, I guess. But these next five years, you're right in the sense that I think they will be how people will, from here on in, remember him. You know, Pakistan's such a young country, a, a lot of the population won't have seen him play ever. They'll, they'll, they'll only know that he's he was a great cricketer, but they won't have seen him on the field. People who have seen him on the field will have a different kind of relationship with him. But I think I think now for the people who haven't ever seen him, who now see him purely as their leader, and he inspires fanatic support among among the youth in Pakistan, among his supporters. You know, they they are they're obsessed with him, and and you know they they really kind of he is very revered over there. So I think now uh, we will finally maybe over the next five ten years. I'm hoping that you know people will come to some kind of final opinion on what he did for the country as a as a politician. So you're right. Yeah, essentially you're right. I think it it will be a defining kind of moment for him. His personal life has also been mired in controversy. His ex-wife uh, released Which uh, one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she released uh she released uh, her memoirs just a month before the elections. And does that play at all? Uh I mean, you know, it it played I think in the sense that a lot of people read the book and uh it made a lot of headlines, but I don't think it made a difference to him in the vote. He he he's been even if he wasn't winning many seats uh and constituencies on paper, he his his popular support was rising, you know, over the over the years. And I don't think this has put a dent into him. This is what you find with Imran. He's he's quite a polarizing figure that way in that if you support him, then you're going to be willing to lay down your life for him. And if you don't support him, then you actually hate him. That, that's what you find in a lot of Pakistan. You don't find very many middle-of-the-road people who kind of can see both sides of Imran or whatever. But um, so, you know, the, the people who are going to support him, they would look at that book and think, ah, it's rubbish. She's lying. She's, you know, making it all up. She's doing it for her own gain and stuff. The few people who are more objective on Imran, well, they might tell you, well, you know, there is probably a little bit of a kernel of truth in maybe some of what she's saying, in, in all of what she's saying. And I, I would say, you know, knowing what Imran has been like over the years and how many times he's changed as a, as a person, I would say it would be difficult for somebody to make up everything in that book. Like you would really have to have some imagination. So, you know, then you think, you, you draw back and you think, well, maybe some of it is true. Maybe some of it isn't. 
ultimately it hasn't made a difference to him. He he was known as somewhat of a playboy uh, in the UK, and now as a politician, he's uh, quite conservative, and he's siding a lot with the more uh, extreme political mm. uh, entities in Pakistan. How did he do that transition? Is, it, is, is he kind of casting himself as a reformed man? Yeah, it, it's interesting. So I, I think there's two parts to it. One is a personal thing. I think he genuinely did undergo a personal change after he left cricket. And, you know, he, he got into the, the, can, the building of the cancer hospital. His mother had passed away from cancer that had a big effect on his life. She was religious as it was. But I think he had kind of a, you know, it happens a lot. We see a lot of these guys when they come back from the West. He had a spiritual kind of reawakening in Pakistan. Uh, where, you know, he, he started thinking about his life in England and he, he saw that it had been a waste of time for him, essentially, and he didn't gain anything from it. So, you know, that, that there was, I think there was a personal and genuine transition and transformation to, into a more kind of spiritual man, a, a more, you know, Sufi following kind of Imran. I think this latest reach out further to the right uh, with a lot of these political kind of extremist you know parties and, and people with extremist messages, I think that is a bit more cynical and a bit maybe pragmatic. But I, I would say it's probably a, a cynical move to try and get that vote bank, essentially. You know, some of the stuff, this has been probably the most divisive election campaign for, for years in Pakistan. Um, and, and, and Imran and his party have been at the root of that. And they've used uh, religion. They've used extremist messages to further kind of fan those flames because they know that there is there is a constituency out there that will vote for him if he caters to that kind of message. I don't think it's really him. Um, I could, you know, I could well be wrong. I don't think it's really him. But I, I do suspect that he, very cynically, him and the party have tried to reach out to that vote just to make sure that they could do well enough in these elections. This is uh, maybe a new phenomenon, but you have, I mean, you're a sportsman, so you have other... Uh, I wish, a sports journalist. <laughs> a sports journalist. <laughs> You have other uh, uh, athletes running for uh, government. You have Manny Pacquiao. You have Klitschko. Uh, George Weah. Yeah. President so Liberia. <laughs> what What makes an athlete at the highest level, what gives them the indication that they might do well in politics? Or, I mean, what, what, is, what is in them that makes them think that they should run for? I think, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll tell you Imran's motivations because I asked him when, when I when I'd met him, I asked him. And, and this is an answer that he's given over the years repeatedly. He said it. Every, I think, you know, because he had traveled abroad, he had lived abroad. Uh, he had uh, a kind of wider worldview of, you know, not just his country, Pakistan, but also how it was seen abroad and stuff. And I think he felt, it, again, there was a genuine desire in him to try and change what Pakistan is like. He he had grown up. You know, it was very important that he he, he was one of the first kind of generation of Pakistanis born in Pakistan after partition with India. So, you know, he wasn't born in India. He was born in Pakistan in 52. So he's, you know, five years after the country comes in. And he he's one of those guys, one of those first generations. So he had, I think, he felt a great pride in the country. And then he's obviously seen it deteriorate over the years. And he felt like, you know, I, I need to do something. And I think he, he reasoned that I'm a fairly public figure. I have a fan following. Let's try and translate that into something political. I suspect... This is what a lot of other sportsmen who turn into politicians. I'm, I'm, I'm sure George Weah, uh, who, who you know has become president of Liberia, was probably by, uh, motivated by similar kind of feelings. You know that he's lived abroad, he's seen what life is like in countries that are doing better, uh, that are more developed, and he wants to kind of bring that kind of change to his countrymen. And and he feels like you know I've got that support. Can I translate it into uh, into something big? So I still think, though, that Imran is is an exception in the sense that, you know, he I don't think we've seen a country as I guess the term is strategically important as Pakistan uh, 
appoint somebody who has been such a big sports star. You know, he's literally had like a, a whole career full. Um, uh, uh, for more people, that's more than a life of, you know, kind of success that he's had. Um, I, I don't think I, I, that we've seen many examples at the same level as Imran, to be the greatest sportsman in your country and then to become the prime minister and the man in charge of, you know, trying to lead your country out of, of, of a bad situation. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's a combination of what I said, but I think Imran still is fairly unique in that sense. We'll make sure to follow uh, how that pans out. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Ben Farmer is a reporter based in Pakistan. He covered the elections last week for the National. I want to start off by asking you, Imran Khan, he, he won the elections, but now he has an equally daunting task of forming a coalition. How difficult would that prove to be? Imran Khan did win the elections. His party is the party with the biggest number of seats in the National Assembly, but he didn't quite win enough for an overall majority. So he's looking now to form alliances to build a coalition with some of the smaller parties to take him over that threshold into power. Now, a lot of analysts said last week that that would be a, an easy job. He, he, uh, his result was much higher than expected, and he seemed to have the momentum behind him. But in the last couple of days, some of the losing parties, the parties that were placed in second and third position and so on, have come together to form a grand opposition alliance, and they're teaming their efforts and teaming there at seats to try and keep Imran Khan out of power. So he hasn't made it yet. It looks like over the next few days, there's going to be a lot of horse trading. Why is there such staunch opposition uh, to Imran Khan as being the prime minister? There is a feeling from the opposition, uh, and there's been a lot of allegations, that the election suffered a lot of irregularities. Uh, They've said that it suffered from wholesale rigging. They say that before the election, there was uh, a concerted campaign to favor Imran Khan. They say that that campaign was carried out by the the nation's very powerful military who have ruled either directly or indirectly Pakistan for much of its existence. So there is a lot of resistance to his win. Now, of course, uh, uh, Imran Khan's party say that a lot of this is sour grapes and that they would have complained whatever happened Imran Khan denies that there was any vote rigging, and the army denies uh, favoring any candidates, and the army says that it uh, is fully in favor of democracy. What about the people? How do the people view uh, Mr. Khan? He's been in the public eye for decades as a cricket player, but what are their thoughts on his political career? Well, as a cricket player, Imran Khan won the World Cup in 1992, and that assured his place in Pakistan as a sporting hero. Now, there was a lot of surprise in uh, a few years later when he gave up his sporting um, retirement to enter the dangerous and difficult and chaotic world of Pakistan politics. He's campaigned on an anti-corruption platform, a platform to build a new Pakistan. It has to be said that that is a hugely popular platform. There is a lot of uh, disillusionment, particularly amongst the young, at the state of Pakistan's politics. A lot of uh, frustration at the scale of the corruption, a lot of frustration at the feeling that it is sewn up by a dynastic elite which controls politics, which hands power from one generation to another. So there is a genuine strength of feeling among a lot of Uh, Imran Khan supporters, they're very, very passionate. And there are a lot of people around who have voted for him, 
and who are very, very excited. There's been genuine jubilation among a lot of his fans who are hoping that this really marks a change. Pakistan still suffers from, as you said, rampant uh, corruption. It's also suffering from an ailing economy uh, and violence in some parts of the country. What will likely be uh, his government's first priority if he is able to form a coalition? The first priority for Mr. Khan, if he forms that coalition, is to try and stop an impending uh, financial crisis. The the financial accounts of Pakistan are in uh, the worst condition they've been in for some years. Uh, There's a debt crisis. The foreign currency reserves are dwindling. uh, According to reports, uh, the country only has two months' worth of foreign currency reserves left at the moment. Uh, The uh, current account deficit is widening widening dramatically. So he needs to sort these uh, financial problems urgently. The the solution to these problems, according to most analysts, is a bailout is needed, and that's expected to come from the IMF. Uh, Very soon after he takes power, he's expected to go to the International Monetary Fund and ask for a loan, perhaps as much as $12 billion. He has other options, though. Potentially, he could ask money from uh, one of his allies, uh, China has given money to the uh, to Pakistan recently. Uh, China has um, been a great supporter of Pakistan, and it's possible that the Chinese will be asked for a loan. But generally, people think the most likely bet is that he will have to go to the IMF. Are there any concerns for minority groups? Uh, he's hid behind his conservatism uh, around legislature to help Uh, provide women's rights in Pakistan. Uh, Are they likely to continue during his tenure as a prime minister? Uh, There has been some criticism that during his campaign, and indeed before his campaign, Mr. Khan has cozied up to some of the more extremist uh, Islamic parties and has uh, agreed with them on controversial issues like blasphemy laws. Now, that's led some people to accuse him of inviting uh, extremist thoughts and extremist movements into the mainstream politics. He's not the only political leader who's done this. Lots of political parties, including some of the main ones that have lost, have also been accused of cozying up to some of these these extremist parties. The fear is that uh, if these extremist parties do have more of a say at the table, at the top table, then they will increase pressure on some of the minority groups which have already faced a lot of persecution in the country. Let's go back to the actual elections. They weren't exactly the smoothest process. And although uh, Mr. Khan was declared as the winner, some are still opposing the results, as you said. Why is there any speculation? There's a lot of concern about two parts to the election. There is a concern that before the election, in the weeks and even months running up to the election, there was a concerted campaign of what people are called pre-poll rigging. And this was a campaign to undermine uh, opposition parties who were running against Mr. Khan, particularly Nawaz Sharif's uh, PMLN, uh, by intimidating their high-ranking officials, by encouraging people to defect, by 
uh, muzzling uh, media organisations who were uh, giving them a platform or giving them favourable coverage. Uh, there was a series of allegations made by these parties and made by some international rights groups. Separately, on the day of the election, there are allegations that individual seats uh, were saw, saw big irregularities. There was a delay in the results. Uh, some of the results didn't come out. In fact, the official result didn't come out for more than 50 or 60 hours. And it should have come out when it was expected uh, very, very quickly. It was expected the, in the early hours of the morning after the uh, election. Now, that delay has fed suspicions among the parties that lost that there was some kind of manipulation of the results. The other thing that uh, people have complained a lot about was in uh, election counts, just as uh, people were tallying up the results in the hours after polling closed, polling agents and polling monitors from the political parties were allegedly excluded in a lot of polling stations so they couldn't see what was going on. And again, this has fed suspicions that there was some kind of manipulation going on. Going into foreign policy and regional politics, Pakistan and India have had a shaky past. But the Indian Prime Minister uh, Narendra Modi called Imran Khan to congratulate him on the victory and also talk of a joint strategy. He called for neighborhood peace. I mean, what is that relationship like between the two and what are likely to be uh, Imran Khan's reaction to uh, India? India is one of uh, Pakistan's thorniest problems at the moment and the relations between the two neighbours are at a very low ebb. Uh, they are very, very uh, suspicious of each other and there is a standoff uh, which has been going, the standoff has been going on for decades, of course, but at the moment it's, it's, particularly, um, it's particularly simmering. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, clashes across the border over Kashmir. There's regular uh, shelling along the line of controlled regular skirmishing, and troops and uh, civilians are quite often killed. Now, Mr. Khan uh, said in his speech after when he declared victory that uh, India was one of his priorities, and he called for talks to try and resolve some of these issues. He said that uh, for every step forward that India takes, Pakistan will take two steps forward. So uh, the Indians to come back and again talk about resolving things initially seems like uh, progress and it seems like quite a, a heartening development. But it is a very difficult problem. And uh, Mr. Khan has complained that India just demonizes Pakistan and blames everything on Pakistan. He's called for a, a step away from the blame game. And he says that uh, he himself is treated by the Indian media as if he's a Bollywood villain and painted uh, very much as someone who's uh, encouraging or fostering extremists. So there is a lot of suspicion there. And while we have had the two leaders make conciliatory speeches and comments in the last day or two, there's a lot to be done. And it is really, as I say, one of the most difficult uh, issues that Mr. Khan will have to address. And what if Mr. Khan fails to form a coalition government? What happens then? If there is no coalition government formed, then there will be political paralysis, I would have thought. Um, but it's still not clear 
that whether at that stage yet, uh, the feeling among most political observers is that he will eventually form uh, a coalition because he seems to have this momentum behind him. And he also is felt to have the backing of the powerful military, which uh, politicians believe will make all the difference for him to be able to govern. So although he's not there yet, the, the, uh, the balance of opinion is still that he will make it. Thanks to Osman Samaruddin and Ben Farmer for their time. Follow further developments in Pakistan on our website, thenational.ae. You can find Beyond the Headlines on your favorite podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Audioboom. Thanks to Kevin Jeffers for producing. I've been your host, Nasr al-Wesmi. Thank you for listening and goodbye.